Welcome to this episode of the Greater Phoenix Chambers podcast. Let's talk business Phoenix with your host, me, Todd Sanders, President and CEO of the Greater Phoenix Chamber. In each episode, we're going to tackle important issues and subjects affecting businesses, our community, and the state today. Through relevant, timely topics, this podcast serves as the business community's voice with a mission of championing business growth, identifying problems that restrict economic development, and convening community leaders to move Phoenix forward. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're honored to have Susan Annabelle, who's the VP of Government and Public Affairs at Cox Communications, also a member of our board and the chair of our Public Affairs Committee. Susan, welcome. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for having me. I'm honored well, to be here. It's it's awesome to be here. And we've been friends for a long time, um, but I'd like for people to maybe get to know you a little bit better that maybe have seen you on the stage or read your bio. Tell us a little bit about um, yourself and then maybe something um, that's that's not on your bio. Oh, okay, great. Well, um, I've been in Arizona for 33 years. I consider myself a native of sorts. And those of you who've been right. around for a while, you know, you get native status after about five years, um, but just have really enjoyed um, the opportunities I've had here in Arizona. Arizona, uh, graduate from ASU, and uh, had the good fortune to spend the first 10 years of my career working in the legislature, which is where we met Absolutely. and got to work together. And uh, for the past now 20 plus years, I've been with Cox Communications here in the Valley and uh, just uh, really uh, can't say enough about all the great opportunities that have been afforded to me living in Phoenix, Arizona. It really is terrific. It, it is. Um, and came from Wyoming. That's right. That's um, right. Tell us a little bit, something about yourself that we wouldn't find on your bio. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, my go-to is um, a summer job during college, mm -hmm. uh, worked for a natural gas company and was certified to operate a bucket truck. There you so, go. See, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Skills that might come in handy someday. I mean, hey. who knows if I need to re-career, right? Absolutely. You never know, right? When you're going to need to be able to exactly. operate a bucket truck. Exactly. Well, that's that's fantastic. Well, obviously, you you in your day job do a lot in the policy realm, and certainly you help uh, lead the chamber's policy work. Uh, just had an election. So break it down for us. You know, there there certainly were a lot of predictions before the election. Uh, there was this, the talk about the red wave yeah. nationally and in Arizona. What happened? Yeah, you know, I think um, everybody's got their, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking on how the elections went. Um, but I think my take on it, Todd, is that I think the voters of Arizona ultimately said the things that are important to us may not be the things that are important to the fringe ends of the parties. And um, and I think that's really my takeaway from what happened with the election is uh, we ended up with some results that seem to indicate that that's kind of where the majority of people sit. Um, I, I will say, and I know you've been around politics for a long time here in Arizona, too, that um, sometimes the best policy comes from when you don't have one party controlling both houses and the Absolutely. governor's office. And as much as, you know, you'd like to think there's alignment and there's, you know, there's consistency in policy. Um, sometimes the best needs of the state are met when there's give and take and there's the horse trading that has to go on down at 1700 West Washington to get policy done. So that said, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. We'll Good. see. We'll see. Uh, I actually feel a little better about it now than I did before the election when there was so much uncertainty. Agreed. Agreed. And I, and I like your, your point about uh, you know, government when you have a split. We, we were there, obviously, when Governor Napolitano was there and, and you saw that they had to compromise. And, yeah. um, you know, we compromise in our daily lives, you know, in our families. And, and that's what normal people do. And, sure. and you do get good policy outcomes uh, when you have to do that. 
Yes. Yes. I think that's going to be good for the state of Arizona. Ultimately, I, I sure hope so. I think we're all crossing our fingers and toes and anything else we can. <laughs> so obviously we have a new governor, uh, governor elect Hobbs. Um, what advice would you have for the governor? Clearly she's product of the legislature and also secretary of state, but what would you, what were some, some advice you'd have for the governor? I think what I would say to governor Hobbs is, um, you don't have to boil the ocean. There are some things that are working incredibly well right now in Arizona. And so for all of the advice she's going to be given and all the people who think she needs to address this issue and take on that issue and you need to clean house in this agency and, um, you know, make all these changes. I think uh, taking a moment to reflect on what's going well in her state, you know, that she's going to be responsible for on the administrative side. Um, I'll give you an example. The Arizona Commerce Authority. Stable nonpartisan, getting it done, um, making things happen for the state, let them keep working. I know it's a different construct for the way that office is set up, but you know, when you've got agencies that are doing their jobs well, and they are not in the middle of political issues, you know, take on the things that you need to take on, but don't feel like you have to have to do everything. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you look at some of the successes we've seen in just in the past, just a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday we had TSMC's uh, opening and, and Fantastic. that's a huge deal for Arizona. And, and certainly Sandra Watson and her team have done incredible work there. Mm-hmm. And again, Todd, you saw Democrats and Republicans yep. standing side by side, celebrating that victory. That's something that everybody in Arizona should be able to get behind and celebrate regardless of what side of the political aisle you sit on. I, I couldn't agree more. And and is thinking about next year, one of the things that I think is sort of carried over um, and it's been talked a lot out, a lot about out there is the expenditure limit for education. Can you maybe frame that issue a little bit and, and why we need to address it or why not? Yeah. You know, I think um, it's one of those, maybe a little bit of a bitter irony in the way that, you know, policymaking goes and, and, um, and, and legislation goes is, you know, even when you think you've got the legislature and the governor in alignment around solving for the problem, and in this case, it was the expenditure limits that the schools are dealing with, um, there's always devil in the details. And, you know, the reality is, is now we've got a situation where the Schools are authorized to spend the funds, but, you know, there's this little, you know, minutia that happens in in the authorization side of it that um, has to be fixed. And I don't know that anybody doesn't think it should be. I think, you know, to a person, this is, we, we said we were going to do this. This is what needs to happen. And to keep um, the education uh, community and teachers and, uh, and, and, and parents up in the air about this is, is, is rather unfortunate. That said, it's politics and you can understand it's such an important issue and it's often those really important issues that get leveraged. And I, you know, it's, it's hard not to believe that isn't happening in all of this. And, and, you know, that's just the nature of politics. Horse trading. I think it's going to get done, Todd. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the posturing, it's the leveraging, it's all the stuff that most of the public doesn't understand or, and, or finds incredibly distasteful about the process, but there it is. You know. Well, and I think also the misunderstanding that this is new spending. Right. right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. This has been authorized by the legislature yeah. already, but yeah. now it's permission. Yes. To, we said to, you can spend it, but wait, we haven't really <laughs> said you can spend it yet. Yeah. So a prediction is that either in special session or next session, this is something that, that's going to get resolved. Yeah. I have to believe it does. I just think there's... You, it, letting people um, kind of flounder with that uncertainty, um, even if they're, the detractors don't like it... it the matter's been settled, you know, by and large. 
So speaking of next session, um, you know, what are some of the issues out there that you think we need to be focused on as a, as a business community mm-hmm. down at the Capitol? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, obviously education will continue yeah. to be an issue and that really translates to workforce development for, for the chamber and for businesses. Um, I think as, as parents, we all want to see our kids, kids get educated. We'd like to see our kids have jobs and stay in, in the state. So that's, a piece of it. But as um, businesses, we need employees and um, it's darn hard to find them right now. Uh, It's still hard. And um, I don't think that's going to change overnight. Um, But so I think education tied to workforce, that'll be a big issue. Water, water is going to be a critically huge issue. It always is, but probably, you know, uh, even now more than ever, uh, given the the current status of the Colorado River. And, um, you know, so that's again, that's something that shouldn't be a partisan issue. Um, it typically becomes an urban versus rural issue. So I think that's kind of where you see the, the, the fighting and the, and the, um, the bunkers people go into about water issues for sure. Um, and I think, you know, obviously, um, the border and immigration are always going to be issues. Um, I'm very hopeful that maybe, uh, Congress might be able to, uh, get that issue under control, um, at least in the way that matters to the state right now. Um, the more they can get into the uh, legislation that Senator Cinema is working on right now, the better as far as getting certainty and, um, you know, hopefully taking away the current situation we have with people coming across the border yeah. without certainty, but with ultimate desperation. Um, we're, we were heard this morning um, that the state revenues are, are coming in way ahead of budget another year. Um, I think when you and I were there, there was no such thing really as a surplus, uh, which can make things harder. Um, any thoughts on on the spending that, that might or may not occur? Yeah. You know, um, I think with the very um, close split between the House and the Senate and a Democrat sitting in the governor's office this, this year, um, I think there'll be some greater pressure to take some of that favorability and solve for some of the problems. And everybody's got their lists. You know, these are the things that are the priorities. And Democrats and Republicans alike, right? You know, it, it, well, I'm sure many of the Republicans will say the you know spending is the domain of the Democrats, but the reality is that everybody's got their priorities. Uh, so I think there'll be uh, a lot of uh, a lot of gnashing of teeth over how to spend those dollars. I think what we've learned uh, through now two sort of very interesting, um, very different you can call them recessions, whatever we want to call them, um, economic uh, disruption that we've faced in Arizona in the last 15 years is that planning for the future makes sense. So I think you're going to see some of the more conservative Republicans saying, okay, the sun's shining right now, but we know, you know, bring the rainy day fund up Mm -hmm. again. But that idea about, um, you know, making sure that the state is not committing to long-term year over year expenditures. And so, you know, hopefully that means that the legislature will focus on some of the things that need critical attention, one-time expenditures, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think you, you talked a little bit about this a minute ago. You talked about how people kind of gl- their eyes glaze over um, when, when you start talking about this. But clearly, this has impacts on on all of us. What happens at the Capitol can have direct impacts on all of us. Um, why should the business community care what's happening down at seventeen hundred? What what's yeah. why should they be involved? Yeah. No this this is a great question, and I think this is the um, this is the reason why we have chambers of commerce and why they have um, the important role that they do, um, which is to say that 
everything that the legislature does, even if it isn't directly and specifically tied to a business issue, quote unquote, has tangential impacts and it has indirect impacts on what we do as a business community from having a good education system in Arizona so that we can attract quality workers who will be willing to come and live here because they know their kids will have a good education system um, to making sure that there's adequate housing so that as you know, the TSMCs that come online and other employers know that their employees will have housing. So I don't know that there is an issue that you can really say, you know, the business community doesn't have, you know, some interest in clearly there's core issues we care about, you know, light regulation, good tax policy, all of those things. Uh, but I think that um, there's, there's always some thread um, with almost every policy that can affect you and how you run your business on a day-to-day basis from, you know, requirements for how you, you know, um, stripe your parking lot for, you know, waste removal for um, emissions. I mean, there's, there's really no limit to the ways in which government and laws uh, touch businesses, local, state, and federal. I hear a lot of times, well, you know, we know Cox is down there and these other companies are down there, so we don't need to worry about it. What about that? Mm-hmm. I, I'm a clarified question for me. Meaning that, you know, there's already people down there talking to mm-hmm. lawmakers. Why do I need to get involved? Right. Why does right. it matter um, if, if, if other businesses get right. involved with what's happening down right. there? Well, companies like mine, we have um, people that we pay to go down to the legislature. This is their job to lobby, to influence on behalf of the company. And so, you know, uh, to a lawmaker, the, that's our that's our job, right? We go down there and, and, we, and we try to influence on behalf of the company. But for a person running a small business who doesn't have a contract lobbyist, who can't afford to hire somebody to do this, hearing from them as a business owner, business operator, somebody making payroll um, has incremental value. Uh, and I don't mean to diminish the value of a, of a contract lobbyist and you know a paid lobbyist to do that work. But when lawmakers hear from people who are trying to run their businesses, pay their employees, um, it, it take care of their benefits and, and be successful, that voice of that business owner has exponential value. I couldn't agree why. I think some of the most powerful voices of the capital are those of, of small and mid-sized businesses that are saying, hey, I'm trying to meet a payroll here. Mm-hmm. And if you do this, it's going to have an impact on our employees in your district. Yeah. Um, and that's why we always encourage people to get involved in the process. So thank you for that. Um, so let, let's then go to pu- public affairs. Your second time around, we, we recruited her back. Um, and there's a reason for that because she's that's, she was also head of research in the Senate. And I was I was just an, an analyst. So we, we had to go to the right person here. Um, but tell us a little bit about the process, uh, how public affairs works and, and, and what what how do we engage at the legislature? Yeah, so um, our public affairs process with the chamber is has been in existence for a long time, and it's been vetted and tested, and it is a very good model. Um, and Todd, you know the way that we um, arrive at our guiding principles is as a process of bringing together issue committees. So we have this incredible wealth of talent and knowledge and expertise in the members that serve on the public affairs committee, and we bring in other board members who are interested, subject matter experts, and in these issue committees, kind of look at all these policy issues to say, okay, what do we want the chamber's agenda to look like? We've we've got, you know, um, Mike Huckins on your team who is down at the Capitol, and he's got to have some kind of a roadmap to say, this is where the chamber's at on these issues, so I can go and, and either 
advocate for or try to defeat or modify bad legislation. So uh, this process that happens typically, you know, the summer and fall prior to legislative session is the issue committees meet. Uh, we look at our guiding principles, what needs to be updated, what needs to be changed. So it's this iterative process that every year we refresh it, make sure we've got the chamber's uh, priority issues documented there. We share that with legislators once the board's adopted it. And then that is really kind of our, 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 our moment of truth. That's our, that's our, that's what we utilize to get through the legislative session. Once the committee um, is done with that work, uh, we meet regularly during the legislative session. And so um, a vast majority of the issues are very clearly falling one way or the other in our guiding principles. We will support that bill because it clearly aligns with our principles. We'll oppose that one because it's clearly in opposition. But then there's all the kind of gray stuff that comes in between. So during the session, we have our biweekly meetings, we bring some of these bills to the committee. We have a robust discussion. We might bring in the proponents and have a conversation around it, uh, but we'll give direction to uh, Mike Huckins and his team on how to lobby the issue uh, with the board's knowledge and counsel as well. So like I said, that process has been around for a long time. It works very well. It's very consistent. And I would say it's respected in the legislature too. I think they understand that when the chamber stands up and testifies on an issue, it's with thought, input, diverse views from the members, and with a sound guiding principle policy to stand behind. I agree. I mean, it's certainly there's no wild, wild west where Mike's just making up where at position the chamber is going to be in. There's a very iterative process. Right. And, and, and I think it's also interesting that a small business can have the same voice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's that's really yeah. cool. Um, yeah. And that's where, I, you know, I think there's a real um, opportunity for, for small mid-sized business owners to be a part of a process and have their voice mm-hmm. heard in terms of the process. Absolutely. I, I think it's the great, um, you know, moderator in terms of the voice of the business community, because you're exactly right, Todd. Um, it, it is um, the opportunity for a larger company like a Cox or others to stand with their brethren behind the name of the chamber. But that includes every chamber member. And um, so it's a value that if those businesses had to go and find that and pay for it on their own, it's very expensive. And, um, and and it's not something that business owners want to have to spend a lot of their time doing, even though, as we discussed earlier, hearing directly from them is important. But the chamber, this is this is what the chamber does. And um, and so it's it's just an incredible part of the value proposition. Absolutely. Well, I, I want to um, address, uh, obviously, we've had a lot of talk out there about elections. And if you, we had the Georgia um, runoff recently, and that, that election was called very quickly. Um, ours are, our elections are a little bit different. You want to talk about what maybe draws out the, the, the counting period here in Arizona so much? Yeah. And I think, um, like everything that happens, um, once there is national media interest and there's high political interest in what we do in our processes, everybody's an expert, right? <laughs> and I think this is really no different. And, and I, and that's not to say that every, election is run flawlessly and doesn't have its issues. Every election does, you know, and if you talk to um, people who run elections all across this country, they're, there's, they're never done perfectly and flawlessly. But that said, I think our process, which has been established by the legislature, I might add. Um, so if you, know, if you don't like the, the way Good it's point. being run, you know, there are certainly ways that can um, uh, it can be changed. Um, but the process of allowing people to drop off their mail-in ballots 
on election day, um, that that requires a, a, a signature validation process. And that takes time. And we had so many more people do that this year than ever before. That certainly drew out um, and added to the time it took for um, those votes to be counted. And, you know, if you are a candidate, you want the results yeah. now. I get it. I totally get that. Um, but you also want to make sure that the electorate's votes are counted and counted properly. So um, I think for the um, elections folks and, and the county um, and workers that run these elections, they're kind of in a no-win situation. Yes. They want them counted fast, but the process is not designed to be counted fast. And um, they want them to be accurate. And there's a high level of scrutiny on the accuracy. I don't know that there's anything that's more scrutinized than our elections, um, complete with video cameras and observers and the whole nine yards. So um, I can't honestly say 20 years ago, I would have ever thought this would be the that the, the top media issue and um, the top issue for the state of Arizona during the elections is the election process itself, not necessarily the outcome, but the right. process. Yeah. Right. Are there some things we can do, for instance, around early ballots, bringing in your early ballot that might speed up the process next time? Yeah, no, I think um, one of the ideas on the table, I'm not sure it speeds up the process because it takes more time at the polling place, but allowing people who come in with their mail-in ballot where they've signed their envelope, but they would rather just run it through the machine there's got to be a process to validate that voter's identification at that point to make sure there's not double counting of ballots. So that will take more time at the polling place, which means maybe longer lines. Maybe we need more polling locations. Right. Um, but that would is certainly one of the ideas that's been floated around to address the problem with having so many of those mail-in ballots being dropped off on election day. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conversation down at the legislature this year about it and a lot of ideas um, from people that um, maybe sit on either side of the aisle politically or maybe just people that have um, a passion for making sure the voter's voice is heard. We'll see. Absolutely. But but what I'm hearing from you is it's not necessarily an integrity issue. It's more on it's the opposite side of the spectrum that we want to make sure we cross every T and dot every I so it, it does take longer. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine the pressure uh, that Maricopa County was under that, you know, they were being scrutinized. They had to make sure they got it right. They had to make sure everybody's vote was counted. And yet, you know, with the way the law is written, there's a process and they have to follow that process as well. Um, And sometimes those issues are at odds with each other in terms of the expectation of the public, the expectation of the candidates and the expectation of the media. Let's not forget them in all of this. They were were happy to talk about (laughs) it. Yes, yes. And they wanted the results and they wanted to know when the next data dump was going to be. And uh, yeah, so yeah. Thank God for the data guru. Yep. Yep. Uh, So um, I want to shift gears a little bit because we both came up sort of in the process um, a while ago. Things have changed a lot. What would you tell somebody that maybe is is thinking about, I'd love to maybe get into public affairs. Is this something you'd recommend Still today? Absolutely. Um, I think that from the standpoint of just being curious about how your government is run and being curious about how laws are made and being curious about the type of people that, you know, put their lives on hold to go down to the legislature for six, seven months of the year. (laughs) Um, And, you know, for all of the um, I think the negative perceptions and um, and and you know the, the the criticisms people have of people who are in elected office, it is a sacrifice. And so I think for people to to learn about it and understand how it works, 
especially if you're running a business. If you don't have some intellectual curiosity about why this matters, um, you may find yourself on the on the wrong end of a uh, of a policy someday, and you're going to say, "Wait a minute, what happened? What do you mean that law changed? I didn't know anything about yes. it." Um, to the point of a, a, a potential career path, I think um, you and I can certainly say it, it's been very good to us um, in, in our career path. Um, I can tell people, and I mean this with all sincerity, I learned something new every day 100%. in my job, yep. whether it was inside the legislature or outside the legislature. Um, what an incredible gift and opportunity to get to be engaged with people who are making the decisions and influencing the decisions that decide what our state looks like and yeah. how it, how it runs. No, I agree. So point well taken. And, and I think to, to your point about these, these players, I mean, we see these keyboard warriors throwing bombs at mm-hmm. people they've never met. And when you get down there and actually meet them in person, it's a different deal. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit different. It is. And, and I think you learn a lot about people mm-hmm. and it has been, a, I think a really interesting career path. Um, not no two days are the same. Yep. That is absolutely true. Well, um, before we we wrap, wrap up, I'd like to do a quick lightning round. Okay. And since we are policy geeks here, um, <laughs> tell me who is your political role model, and you can do two if you'd like. I'm a big fan of Condoleezza Rice. Oh. I always have been steady, brilliant, um, respected, calm. Um, she she's my quintessential hero. She's amazing. Yep. Okay. Excellent choice. Um, and then uh, you talked about jobs, but what was your first job? Oh, let's see. If, if you don't count the paper route, Correct. right? Well, that, you that could. We all had. Sure. Um, uh, it would be my job working for the natural gas company I shared with you. That was my, my college job. Um, I will say it's interesting that my career path led me to a company that works in the infrastructure yeah. business. Now, delivering something different, not natural gas, but broadband. But yeah. Yeah. And what it, besides learning how to drive a bucket truck, which is invaluable, <laughs> what did you learn from that first job? Um, you know, I think I learned to appreciate my college education. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being perfectly honest. Hard work and um, people that keep our country running Absolutely. because they're doing the jobs that need to be done to keep the gas on, to keep the roads built, to keep things moving in our economy. Profound respect for what it takes physically. And, um, you know, all of that, it, um, it really made me appreciate that role, but it also made me appreciate my college education. Well, hundred percent. I think you appreciate it. You, know, you knew the difference from that experience. I think for us, those of us in COVID, you know, there was, some, there was somebody keeping the lights on that was not at home. Mm-hmm. Somebody was at Cox out in the field, mm-hmm. making sure we had the internet to attend mm-hmm. our zoom meetings and, and no unimportant jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's so true. Yeah. And, you know, on that point during COVID, we had, you know, our employees that showed up and connected and fixed people's Internet yeah. every day, went to people's homes, stood outside their homes and figured it out. Um, to me, all of those people, not just in our industry, and in our business, but they're the true heroes. I 100% agree. Yeah. It's true. You heard stories about people from Cox having to connect people through a window. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right. And, yeah. and they were or using cell phones yeah. to explain to them how to, you know, do their self install. Make sure kids could go to school. Yeah. So, um, okay. And now we know you love your job, but dream job. Oh, wow. Um, I think I would love to be a travel writer. I love to travel. I love to write. And if somebody would pay me to do both. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Well, if you need a travel writer, you know where to go. (laughs) Well, Susan, it's been such a pleasure Thank you for spending time with us today, but also for your leadership um, at the chamber. 
your job is probably one of the hardest volunteer jobs we've got, and you're back again. So we thank you for that, and certainly thank you for your leadership on a community-wide level. Thank you. Honored and um, appreciate your trust in me. Thank you, Todd. All right. Take care.